like, I'm at these lights and this guy pulls up and he's like, hey, do you think you're Garen Thomas? Because I was obviously all in Sky Kit, Pinarello. I just looked across to him and was like, oh, hey, how you doing? He was like, holy shit, Garen Thomas. Well, everyone, you heard his voice. Yes, it is Garrett Thomas. He's with us today on Bobby and Jens. Okay, fresh off the plane from America, spent a couple days in Monaco and is now in Algarve, the tour of Algarve down in Portugal. Garrett Thomas, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. How you doing? It is actually good to catch up, I must say, and we're happy, we're delighted to have you on the podcast tonight. <laughs> delighted to be here, Andy. Yeah, I, I tell you, we, we're having a pretty good run here. Um, we had Andy Schleck on earlier, winner of the Tour de France. We just got done with Cadell Evans, winner of the Tour de France, and uh, now you, another winner of the Tour de France. So this is... This is kind of cool. We didn't plan it like this, but, you know, podcast life works like that sometimes. You know, when it rains, it pours. Yeah, nice. Who's your favorite then? Favorite? Um, I tell you, each tour. one is like birthing <laughs> a child. You know, you don't want to show favoritism. <laughs> um, I enjoy them all because obviously this is not my full-time job. Uh, Jens is either. Uh, it's just fun talking to interesting people about interesting things. So uh, that's why we're stoked to have you on. But uh, hey, yeah, before we just dive into you, how was California? You were training in California for, what, a good solid month there um, until recently, right? Yeah, I was, was there for four weeks. It was supposed to be five, but I had to delay a week because I got COVID over Christmas. But um Oh, I just love it down there. It's great. It's uh, The weather's good, as you know. The roads are good out in Santa Monica Mountains. And probably the best bit, though, is factory nine hours behind Europe. And you're just off the radar almost. You know, your phone's not going off all the time. You can just be there in your own little world. Uh, I had my wife and my son down there with me. Cameron Worth was training with me as well. And, um, yeah, it was just great. You just crack on and do your thing, you know, and, Obviously, there's a lot less fuss down there as well. Um, you know, it, it is strange to get recognised in America, I'll be honest, because you kind of think, you know, it's all about football and especially in LA, you know, with, with the Rams and stuff doing so well. And yeah, you think of all the typical American sports. So you kind of, it is strange actually when people recognise me, but um, well, it's nice. Like I say, I love it down there. So you mentally fully charged your batteries. You're ready to dive into another season. Yeah, most definitely. It was weird coming back. So I went to Monaco, as you said, but my wife and son went back to Cardiff because oh, they were seeing a nan and stuff who isn't too well. But yeah, to go back to Monaco and to an empty apartment and back to reality almost, you know, it was a bit like, oh, yeah, here we go. Another season. But um, no, I'm... Looking forward to racing now. It's, it's what we do, do it for, isn't it? All that training is so you can enjoy racing. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I saw some stuff on uh, Instagram, you on your time trial bike, uh, going down the PCH there. Um, brought back memories because Jens and I, uh, with CSC and Bjarne Reese, we used to have our training camp, uh, not, not right there, but uh, right up the road, I guess you would. And it, it was always a great place to train. And I only found it towards the end of my career. So I'm glad that uh, 
you and some of the old Sky Boys, now Ineos, Ineos Boys, are um, enjoying California because it's a, it's a cycling mecca. Yeah, it was a funny story, actually. When I was there, um, I don't know when it was, but it was after I'd won the tour, maybe 2019. I'm riding along Mulholland, this road that goes along the tops towards sort of, yeah, Hollywood almost. And I'm at these lights and this guy pulls up and he's like, hey, do you think you're Garen Thomas? Because I was obviously all in Sky Kit, Pinarello. I just looked across to him and was like, oh, hey, how you doing? He was like, holy shit, Garen Thomas. <laughs> Good, what are you doing here, man? And then like, yeah, I had a quick chat and he just drove off. But yeah, that was kind of, that, that was a surreal moment. I uh, had some moments in California where I realized there's actually a lot of people that have more expensive bikes than I have. And I mean, we use basically <laughs> top-of-the-line material, right? I mean, the top model uh, uh, available. But there's still people, they have more expensive bikes than you or me. I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some keen bike riders down there. But uh, a great place for it as well. You'd never realize how good it is, you know? Like for me anyway, for Europeans, you just think, oh, it's, you know, Hollywood and big boulevards and, you know, traffic, lights and all this type of stuff. But yeah, once you get out in those Santa Monica mountains, it's great. And especially for January, you know, when you don't need real long climbs and things. And like you say, Bobby with the PCH with some TT work is ideal. Wow. Yeah. Bringing back some memories uh, for sure. Um, but before we jump into this stuff, I'm always curious when, when Europeans go over to California, um, obviously, California has the, the best, most healthy diet compared to most of the other parts of, <laughs> of the U.S., but still... It's a long shot from the the nice fresh food over over in France. But what American food did you really enjoy? Are you a Mexican sort of guy, or you know, are you a barbecue guy? Like, what's your kind of cheat food when you come over to the U.S.? I mean, we'll make sure that your coach doesn't or nutritionalist doesn't hear this part. <laughs> um, I like everything to be honest. Like anything that's I don't normally eat. There's not necessarily good for you. Um, but I do love a Mexican. I love a bit of sushi as well. Sushi's good down there for when we got it anyway, wherever it was, that that, that was good sushi. But um, but my wife is quite fussy, so we generally don't have Mexican too much. But burgers, burgers is a big thing. Like, oh, I'm into a burgers or fried chicken. Um, but it's hard. I tried to, you know, start of the season though, innit? So I'm kind of trying to cut this stuff out. So I need to go there in November really to really experience it all don't i so <clears throat> let's start um that's your first race right do you like know already a little bit about the program further down the road i mean you got so many captains yeah, in so your team it's hard to find a spot right yeah it's certainly um especially with recent weeks as well with COVID because a load of riders have been hit by it. I think we had, I don't know the exact number, but there's a lot of riders go down with it. So the programs have been chopping and changing all over the place. But for me, I got, yeah, I'll go, I'll go to Tirreno next. And then at the moment it's Basque, but hopefully that'll change to Catalonia. Um, then the Ardennes, Romandie, Swiss tour. So it's, um, yeah, a packed program, but, Looking forward to it. It's kind of, I don't really, you know, in the past sort of four, no, five, six years, the tour has been the main focus. Whereas this year, it still is a big goal, obviously, because it's a tour and I still want to get there in the best shape possible. But 
all the other races in the build-up to it, I just want to go there and enjoy it and race hard. And if it's not for myself, for one of my teammates, and really just, because let's be honest, two, three years and I'll be done, you know? So I want to make the most of this now. We, we, we spoke about this with, with Andy Cadell. I know uh, Jens and I spoke about it. And Jens, you said something uh, recently that um, about retirement, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough decision for you to make personally, but sometimes, you know, somebody that you really trust, either it be a director sportive or, you know, a longtime coach or maybe even a spouse saying like, hey, you know, time to move on. But we don't want to talk about that right now. We want to, I want to go back to the British Academy days because when I came to Sky in 2012, I didn't know. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That was 2000, winter of 2010. So I was there 11 and 12. I didn't really know that you guys had such a history together that Rod Ellingworth started this whole British Academy program down in Italy and you were there and Cavendish was there. And I mean, uh, Ian Stannard, I mean, I know I'm missing, you know, quite a few of them, but you know, that seemed like just the perfect setup that back then was brand new, right? Like no one knew you guys, you were like basically still juniors or very young amateurs, but it turned into such a, I don't know, a factory of, of champions. And I'd like to know, like, what did Rod or that whole experience instill in you that you actually still are using to this day in your, in your professional career? Oh yeah, it was, well, firstly, the Brits, we were just seen as the, you know, the shit kickers basically, you know, it was all about, you know, the Germans, Yenzi and, you know, the French, the, Spanish, you know, the traditional cycling nation. So Britain wasn't really thought of as a cycling nation at all. And and Rod started the academy back in 2004. I joined the end of that year when I moved out of the junior ranks. And it was basically like a university for us. Um, you know, you see juniors and the 23s, especially like even juniors now, they're, they're like professional riders, you know, they know how to train and eat well. They've all got these programs and they're all professionals already, you know. But for us there, it was, you know, we didn't have power cranks. We had nothing like that. We were just, he worked us hard, but then it also, he worked us hard off the bike with, you know, making sure you stay healthy, you know, cooking, you know, the right food and how to cook as well. You know, we just moved out of home. Um, just being organized for when you go into a race, like when you're working hard like we're in the velodrome you know some days we'd leave our house at six and get back you know in the dark and get back at like seven eight o'clock at night you know after a track league so you'd be in the track in the morning you have like italian or french lessons which we should have taken a bit more seriously looking back so yeah it was just long days like he was just teaching us to be yeah organized and how to deal with things really and um setting us up for for later on so it was the training and the racing was important um, but everything else was, was just as much emphasis on that, you know, and we had to do it ourselves, you know, cleaning your bikes and all that. And you'd get punished, you'd have to clean the team car or you just have to ride around top of Manchester Velodrome for three hours, you know, and, but it, he made it hard, not for, to make just to sort of like bully us almost, but it was just to, to weed out the people that didn't really want it. And, yeah, yeah, I was on there for two years and it certainly um, put me in good stead for just being more independent and just being a good professional, really, as well as sort of 
becoming fitter and stuff. And like you say, Bobby, the guys that have been through it, Cav was on there when I joined. Ed Clancy, who's three-time Olympic gold medalist. Um, you know, Stanard and Swifty, Pete Kenyuk, Johnny Bellis. You know, and, and now there's like there's there's loads of kids coming through. Ethan Hater, and um, it's just that continual like conveyor belt almost. So, yes, it was. I definitely owe a big part of um, my career to to that sort of way of um, well of Rod sort of. Of doing what he did there for us, yeah. So it sounds like you you learned some lessons. You still follow these rules or these lessons learned back then, right? Like something you learned something for life there. Is that correct? Almost oh, definitely. It, the main thing I was always pretty punctual, but there it was like you know you got the saying Rod would always used to say was the Olympic bus won't wait for you. You know, just be on time is just being on time all the time for everything and. Even in, in Moscow one year, it was Swifty's birthday. He just he was 18. He just turned 18, which, you know, is big for us Europeans, not like the Americans, you know, we, we can drink at 18 and have a good time. But uh, so it was a big day for Swifty. And we were in Moscow. And it was a World Cup. And I think he was doing the points race or scratch or something. And he was late coming down to the bus. And Rod didn't wait. He was like, right, we're all going. The bus is going anyway, so everyone get on it. Even Rod got on it. And Swifty wanders down. I haven't got a clue where anyone is. He has to get the next bus half an hour later, turns up at the track. And Rod like gives him a bit of a bollock and then realizes like two hours later that it's 18th birthday. So kind of like, sorry, mate, but yeah, don't be late again. So, uh, you know, he was harsh, but fair at times. But um, yeah, little things like that just, yeah, stick with you. And the main thing for me was making your pasta, your tuna or your sweet corn for the next day for lunch after the track session before French or whatever. And so it was, um, yeah, long days, but, um, I wouldn't like to go back and do it again. I'll be honest, but it certainly set you up for, for life in general. And so you can teach those sort of things, but one of the things that I know you can't teach is mental toughness. And from knowing you for so long, following your career, being a huge fan, You're one of the toughest riders I've ever seen. You know, unfortunately, you you have to be tough because you tend to crash um, <laughs> often. Um, but like, I, I remember one one year in particular that you cracked your pelvis. I think it was the 2014 stage um, over in Corsica. And then you guys had the team time trial over in France. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you actually could barely stand up. I think you almost got dropped in the start because you couldn't stand up and accelerate, accelerate like you normally do. But then by the middle and especially at the end, you were taking full pulls. What, what, where do you learn that mental toughness? Is it your upbringing? Is it, what was it being there with Rod or is it just something that, that you have? Because I don't think I've ever heard you complain. I think, uh, it's just something that I've always had. I think, you know, from my parents and just, well, you're born like, I guess. I think, um, yeah, that, that tour, for instance, was, it was 2013. So it was after Brad won the year before and I'd missed that tour because I was at the Olympics on the track and, you know, I, I was gutted to miss, you know, Brad winning that, of riding on Chanzelise yellow jersey, you know, it's what every kid dreams of, just to ride the tour, but then to be part of a team that won it. And then that year we had through me and it was really good chance. And so my whole year was built up towards that. You know, I had some races for myself building up, but then the tour was all about through me and being there, doing a good job and hopefully winning with him. And 
like you say, the crash happened on the first stage. It was in the final, and it was that stage. Remember the Orica bus got stuck under the the Finnish gantry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was just a crazy day on the radio. It was kind of like, oh, the sprint's early. The bus has got stuck. Oh, it's gone. The sprint's happening. No, it's not. Crazy day. Big crash anyway, and break my fracture my pelvis. Yeah, and three days later or two days later, it was at TTT. And for me, that was like an Olympic final. I just knew we've only got four, five corners. And then it's big boulevards, really, and Nice, and I'll be okay. It's just I couldn't get out of the saddle, as you say, at the start. And um, so it was a big seated acceleration, just like my track days. And, um, yeah, I was just so pumped for it. I had about three coffees and... That was it. You just went out and, and I knew if I got through those corners and I was in the group while well, still with the team, I'd be able to, I'd be all right. And um, yeah, w- once we got onto those big roads, I was able to do a few pulls and because I'd sat on for quite a lot of it, by the end I was able, I was able to do some some real good pulls for the guys. Then. And um, unfortunately, we missed out by a couple of seconds, I think. I think Garmin might have won, but we were like three or four seconds off the win and um, so I was super disappointed in the end, but you know I was just super pumped to, to get through that day. And then as the days went on, I felt less and less pain, and it's kind of strange because riding it was okay. I still couldn't get out of the saddle too much, but walking and stuff was worse. So it kind of made me look better as well, you know, because I was like, oh that guy, look, he can't even walk, but he's racing in the tour. And uh, but yeah, like you say, with the other injuries and stuff, it's just something I've always hard I, I don't know it's just something in me I've just always sort of never wanted to give up you always have to give 100% and yeah you you, you get through it so now that um, we talked about how dangerous road cycling can be sometimes at the age of 21 you were already world champion then later you won two Olympic gold medals on the track three world championships what made you change to road cycling actually you could have collected another 10 medals and become the most decorated British athlete at the Olympics, for example. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, um, for me, the, the road scene was always my biggest passion, really. Um, that's where I sort of fell in love with cycling. Like, I, I started on the track, mainly because I was just, there was one where I lived as a kid. But, you know, I started watching cycling on the TV and just, you know, the Tour de France and things and just loved road racing and, and, and wanted to turn professional as well. And, After I'd won those medals, it's kind of like, right, okay, I've I've done that now. I want to see where I can go on in my road career. And so after after London, um, if it, if the Olympics weren't in London in 2012, I probably would have gone straight onto the road after Beijing in 2008. But, you know, I really wanted to win a gold medal in, in the home Olympics as well. So that's why I stepped on the track. And then, yeah, I went onto the road and, And yeah, just uh, tried to take that as far as I could. Started with one day races, then week stage races, and then then the Grand Tours. So it's definitely been a long progression. Um, you know, like when you see Pogacar and like Egan and, and, and kids now just stepping up, winning at 21, 22. It's kind of like, yeah, good job, guys. You look bastard. So it took me like took me 10, 12 years pro to do that. But um, no, it's, it's been nice. At least I've got to... Yeah, sample a lot of different bits of, of cycling, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, you have. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm sure that balancing act between being on the track and the road was a, a big reason. But, like, you know, I remember, like, yeah, Garen is our classics guy. 
you know, and then all of a sudden you started kind of morphing into a shorter stage race guy. And then all of a sudden you were there making the, the tour team to ride for, for, for Froomey and domestique role. And then all of a sudden you're there and all of a sudden you're in the yellow Jersey and all of a sudden you're win, winning mountaintop finishes. Um, talk about progression. I mean, that was Dave B, you know, it's all about progression, not perfection, but it just seemed like every year or something, you like just tick something off the list, tick something off the list, tick something off the list. Tell us a little bit about that, that struggle, because like up until that point, when you won the tour, you had never really been in that, that serious GC contender position. You'd always been a domestique, but it seemed like you made that that decision or that that switch, just like switching on a light bulb, that you were able to, because you had been there, done that in the support role, you were more comfortable, more relaxed. Because I mean, th the tour that you won was you dominated. You know the uphill finishes, and you know you rode it like you'd been there before. But what what do you think was that little mental switch that allowed you to make such a major progression and win the darn Tour de France? <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing for me was when I look back, it's kind of crazy. It's, it was the tour that I felt the most relaxed in and enjoyed the most, which you kind of think when you're in that position, you'd be super stressed and like worried and anxious. But yeah, I was just like, I don't know. It was just something where I was like, I'm feeling good. Like, especially once I'd won that stage wearing the yellow jersey and then I backed it up the next day winning winning on Alpe d'Huez in the yellow jersey, it's kind of like, wow, wow, you know, I definitely want to win this race, but if it all goes tits up, you know, is what it is. Like, and um, I think all those years leading up to it, um, you know, leading the team in, in the one-week races and week races sort of stood me in good stead for leading that tour um, and just leading the team and, and, and being the team leader. But I think also with Froomey there, he took a lot of the, you know, everyone was talking about him. You know, he'd won four tours. He had just won the Giro. Um, a lot of the media was speaking to him. Like they, you know, obviously people wanted to talk to me, but you know, when you got through me in the team, he takes a lot of that heat. And as the race went on, it sort of started to come my way a bit more, but you know, I was kind of used to it by then, you know, I was 32. I was used to, you know, journalists coming up and asking you stupid things all the time. And some things, you know, it's just part of the job and you get used to it. Um, so it was just a combination of all that, I think. And, and, and obviously just being in great shape. And it's just almost like, yeah, once you get on that upper, you know, that snowball effect, you know, you, you're feeling good, you have some wins and then suddenly you just keep your foot on the, on the throat of, you know, your, your competitors almost. And it was even just taking little bonus seconds all the time, you know, every stage, like, every little mountain top, even if it wasn't for the win, you might nick third and then you might get second another day. And then suddenly that's another 10 seconds bonus. And just psychologically, you're always on the upper hand in, you know, it's, it was just a dream. Like I, I couldn't think of a, anything else that could have been better about it, to be honest, like other than winning the final TT, I guess. But um, at that point, you know, I had a little slide on one of the first corners and then, Nico, Nico Portal, who's a DS, was was just telling me like, "Gee, just take it easy, 
you're uh, you're fine. You've got two minutes. You can lose. You just just win the tour. Just get through this. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. Ended up yeah third and by eleven seconds in that TT. But yeah, it was just an unbelievable few weeks really. And um, but I think it it wasn't just from November to to the tour where I enabled me to win. It was I think it was just my whole career and everything I'd learned along the way. And you know even the track days. You know, there's so much pressure in a team pursuit, like team pursuit final at the Olympics, like when tiny little thing, if you mess up, you mess it up for yourself and your three teammates who've been training for it for four years. Um, you know, it's, well, these days it's over three minutes and 42 seconds. Um, at least in the tour, if something happens, you've got another 20 days to put it right. Um, so that pressure in the team pursuit is, that's the most pressure I've ever felt. So, you know, I've learned to deal with that. You learn to deal with the the media and everything around it. You've, you've done the tour numerous times. You know how it works and what to expect there. I'd won, I'd won the yellow jersey the year before when I won the the opening TT. So you know, was, knew what to expect there. So I think it was a whole combination of everything, all aligned for those three weeks. And it was, um, yeah, like I say, couldn't have gone much better. Hey, um, I had this idea slash theory about that. Um, you can help me out because you're the person to ask. I'm, at least for now, 100% sure you could have won the tour one year or two years ago as well, but you had to do that last magic effort on the last, second to last mountain. I, 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 like me, I, I feel like you did not necessarily push much more watts in the tour you won than in previous tours. Your shape, I believe, was probably almost identical but in this case you were a protected rider and you only had to do this last max effort on the last three or four kilometers instead of the mountain before or at the bottom of the climb to get Fromey or Bradley into the climb don't, don't you think so or you think you were definitely physically also a lot stronger um, I think physically I was at my best then but as you say I, I wasn't I was pretty close in previous years um 15 I was in 2015 that was the year when I thought right I'm gonna try and win a grand tour now because I was fourth going into stage 19 fourth on GC and then I just cracked like I, I'd, I'd been on the front in the cobbles in the wind in the first week you know I'd been in the mountains and I'd been the only guy who threw me a lot of the time so I'd just done way too much work but then I was looking at it afterwards I was like Mate, if I had just been the protected rider there, I could have been fighting for a podium place that year. So then 16, I was like, right, I want to go to the tour again as a as a backup, a proper backup to through me and not do all that work beforehand and just see what happens. Turns out I just pushed the diet way too much. And I was like, yeah, I was empty in Swiss. It was like 10th in tour Swiss or something, 11th, and just totally out of sorts. And um managed to turn it back around for the tour but not in enough time to to go in as a backup so it was a pure domestic domestic again there 17 then it was all about the giro a police motorbike parked on the side of the road caused a big crash ends up leaving that after about 10 days and then went to the tour um yeah as i say won won the opening time trial but then there was another crash on stage nine broke my collarbone got taken out on a wet descent so then, yeah, 18 was, was what it was. And then 19, obviously, was um, when Egan won. And, and then it was the whole team 
thing and how you race there. And then obviously the stage that was cut short when with the avalanche and then the following day was only a 30k stage basically up a mountain. So that was, that was a crazy tour as well. It was kind of, I wouldn't say an anti-climax, but the way the race ended with those last two mountain days being cut short, massively cut short was, was kind of weird. So, um, so yeah, it's maybe could have had another one in there at some point, but you know, it, it is what it is. I just got to be happy and, and, and grateful for winning it once at least. And, um, you know, then 2012 with all COVID totally different world then one it. And, um, everyone went through their own struggles and stuff then, but yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy progression though. And, um, for sure, I would have loved to have won it a couple more times, but it is what it is, isn't it? The Giro in 2020, taken out by a water bottle. Like, how often does that happen? You know, so um, just got to roll with punches at times and just be be happy that I did get that one big shot and I did take it. And we'll be right back after this short break. See, I, I think that's so important um, to... Okay, there's multiple riders that have won multiple tours one is pretty damn good but what what i really respect um frumi in his the year that you won and then the way that you held yourself and represented your yourself your country your team in support of egon you know it could have gone like you said tits up and it could have been like inner squad rivalry but the way that you represented yourself there um that that's that's when legends are are made. But uh, so last Thanks. year we had Thomas DeGent on and he mentioned that after his podium place in the Giro, he became a GC uh, contender and he didn't really enjoy that that lifestyle so much. So, I mean, you've gone through all the different lifestyles, the 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 track rider, the domestique, the classics guy the Tour de France, like what, where, how would you like to spend the, the last couple years of your career? What would you like to, to focus on? Um, I think throttle back from the whole GC Grand Tour stuff, just because it's so full on for me. It's the whole diet thing is the biggest issue with me. Like I'm not a natural, you know, light guy really like you know maybe low 70 kilos you know 71 72 naturally um but to be in top shape i've got to be down to like 68 um 68 69 so those extra few is hard to to get to and it takes a lot of commitment and time and energy um you know and you're at home and you're grumpy and your wife is like what's the matter with you and you're just like ah. Oh, shut up i'm just tired like you know and it's, it's just like not not the best fun at times but it's definitely worth it when you get to those races you have a good result but so um you know as, as a classics guy and then helping in the grand tours is probably the most enjoyable phase that i've had um like off the bike as well as on it um but saying all that the tour is the tour, isn't it? And you still want to be 100% shape when you get there. So, um, like I said at the start, though, it's kind of 
I want to go to every race as good as I can and just take from it what I can. And then, you know, the, the tour is still going to be the race I want to go to and perform at. So, yeah. Also, I'm kind of saying I don't want to do GC, but I kind of want to be in GC shape, don't I? So, so <laughs> I don't know. It's one of them. We'll see. We'll see. It's just a, it's about enjoying it, really. And, um, yeah, still making the sacrifices and the commitments. Otherwise, because you only enjoy it when you're in the front, aren't you? When you're in the front racing for the win and winning stuff. Otherwise, it's not as enjoyable. So that's the main thing for me. Reminds me on your countryman, Chris Boardman. He always used to say with his Liverpool accent, which, of course, I cannot copy, but he always used to say, Jens, it is much better to be at the giving end of pain than to be on the receiving end of it. And that is so true, right? You push 400 watts <laughs> in the front, you push 400 watts at position 65, but it's so much harder to be in position 65. So, but hey, if you could choose what result or what happening would make 2022 a great year or good year for you, it doesn't have to be a result. It could be somebody else winning or at the end of the year, the team goes, hey, Garrett, you were the best this year. What, what would it take for you to say this was a great year? Um, yeah, I've been asked this recently and yeah, I'm not, I, I don't know. I think for me, if I won, won a big race, it would be, it would be a success. So a big race from anything from, you know, a, a, like a Liège to a Tour Swiss or, you know, Romandy or, you know, performing well in the tour, winning the stage in the tour, helping the team do well in the tour. If the team won the tour, obviously that would be massive. Um, you know, so it's, it's hard to nail down one thing, but I think just it's kind of a it sounds like a cop out, but it's not a cop out in that I just want to give it 100% focus commitment this year and get to the end of the year knowing that I did everything I could to be as good as I could. I had a good time doing it. You know, I was the biggest reason for staying in this team was because I got some good mates that I started cycling with when I was 12, which is hell of a long time now. Like, 20 odd years um the staff you know that i've known and worked with for like six seven eight years so um yeah that that would be the main thing so yeah slightly dodging the old question but um just committing to it and having fun you have you have every right to dodge that question i mean you 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 <laughs> you've gotten so much out of this sport and given so much back to it that I think you deserve the ability just to enjoy yourself. I mean, I don't know about you, Yenzi, but towards the end of my career, that's when I knew it was time to stop was because I could be the leader in the bus, but I wasn't necessarily the leader on the road anymore. I couldn't make those sacrifices to be away from my family or to train at altitude or do all the things that it takes to be up there. And I just wasn't having any fun. And, um, you know, Obviously, it's a it's a it's a big thing when it comes. But man, more power to you. You you've checked so many things off the list in so many different disciplines under so many different conditions. You know, just just do your thing, man. But um, so so you're you you know, we were kind of wondering 
if this year would have been that year, you know, it was like, wait a second, uh, Dave B is, you know, we haven't read if he's got a contract with Ineos again, would he even consider changing teams? Is he going to consider retirement? Because let's be honest, we just went through the list of your Palmeiras and you've kind of checked all the boxes, but how, how, you know, and then another thing is your longtime coach is no longer with your team. So there, there was a bunch of like, man, I don't know. He could pull the pin right now. How close were you to just saying maybe even this last off season that, Hey, I'm going to try another team or, you know, I'm going to spend more time with my family and just kind of, you know, end end my cycling career. Yeah, I was, um, I wasn't close to stopping, but it's definitely something that's, you know, entered my head a couple of times is the whole family side. Because obviously I've got a young son now, Max, he's like nearly two and a half. Um, so he's just changing all the time and, you know, he's slowly starting to miss me. Um, but I didn't want to just stop like that as well. It was kind of, it felt like if I did stop last year, it would just be stopping on a, on a real negative because the way the tour went was just terrible. The Olympics straight afterwards, like it just was, I didn't want to finish on a downer and yeah, I definitely wanted, I still had the bug to race and just perform and as you say, commit. And, but then also I don't want to drag it out too long that you do start just hating it. Cause if you, you know, being in teams where you've seen some guys and it's like, mate, you should have stopped like two years ago. You, you're just hating life. Like what are you doing here? You know, and they drag everyone down and I definitely don't want to get to that stage. Um, and I just, I do enjoy sort of spending time with like the younger guys as well and sort of like not, not preaching to them or telling them what to do, but just sort of like, well, doing what I do and kind of, you know, showing them the way in a way, because yeah, I can just see myself in, in some of them. Um, and I do enjoy that side of things as well. But at the same time, as I said, the main thing is, is performing myself, you know, um, so, yeah, as I say, two years here, which is nice. And I keep saying it, but enjoying it and being with my good mates. You know, I could have, you know, we were talking to Movistar and it's a really good team. It's got some great riders, you know, great conditions to perform. But I'd be going there, starting fresh, don't know anyone. You know, here I'm I'm super happy, you know, and, and, and that was, the, as I keep saying, that's the main thing. And I believe somewhere in that thinking process about changing team or not, or continuing or not, you mentioned the word uh, triathlon and Ironman. Is that a project you want to do? I mean, you're still, compared to us, of course, fairly young. Is that still something you go, hey, <laughs> like maybe at my 40th birthday, I treat myself with an Ironman. Is that still a project you have for the future or nah? Oh, 100%, 100% I want to, yeah, because I spent a lot of time with Cameron Worth as well, as I said, in LA, and, you know, he's obviously an Ironman triathlete, and he's a couple of years older than me. Um, and, yeah, it also, like, it's partly because when I stop, if I stop the next year, for instance, I would have done 17 years as a professional bike rider, and to stop and then suddenly not have any goals and not wake up in the morning and be like, right, this is what I'm working towards, I just... I just can't fathom that in my head because it's just what I've done. You know, even as a junior, you have, you know, I want to go to junior worlds and try and perform there. And so ever since I was 17, you know, and I'll be, well, 37 in next year. Um, 
so for 20 years, I've always had something to really get out of bed for and strive for and keep me, well, keep me from stop from not going to the pub every day and just eating rubbish, you know, and putting on 10 kilos and, and more. So it's also partly for that to, to give me something to focus on and wean myself off sort of being a, a full-time athlete really. And, uh, and also I met this, um, this Welsh woman who was actually on my podcast who does like ultra marathons and there's this crazy race in Wales where they run from North to South Wales through the spine of Wales. They do 20 odd thousand meters of climbing. Um, I think it's like 300 odd miles over like five or six days. And something like that would just sounds like a massive challenge and something like, well, oh, I'd love to give that a go. And so, um, yeah, I'm st- <laughs> there's, there's still plenty of stuff once I stop to sort of really to go at really and keep me, well, certainly keep me fit. Well, I must say um, when I stopped at finally at the age of 43, like every single cell of my body was just screaming at me to stop. I, I really, I squeezed, uh, literally, I squeezed every little desire to suffer and to perform out of me. And I I think I, I you know, finishing uh, end of September, I didn't touch the bike until Christmas. I said, nah, nah. I looked at the bike, and, nah, maybe next week. Nah, no, nah, no, nah, next week. I really needed three months just for my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. But what about afterwards, though? Did you still, you wanted to go back and push yourself again? No, rarely, rarely. I like to to do like some some wellness sport, like two hours riding before it starts to hurt. I'll be back home to stay fit, to stay sl- you know, to stay slim and and in in a d- decent shape. Every now and then it, it it gets you, but not as much as before. So I'm I'm happy where I am. I I have no regrets. I really I gave it all I had, and I think that's an important point. Uh, important important part. Sorry, I got it. Like you gotta be at once with you and the decision to stop, you know? You cannot stop because mm-hmm. somebody else tells you or a freak accident kicks you out. Because then I have seen it quite a lot. Until the end of your life, you always have this little bit of bitterness and that will make you a worse husband and a worse human being, a worse father, because you always have this, what if, could I have done this and this? Uh, I would really say squeeze everything out of you until everything inside of you goes, okay, I've done all I could, leave it okay i i gotta interject a little Mm -hmm. bit here um (laughs) i love that idea garrett i think it's really really smart you know to taper down from a very active lifestyle because i kind of went from cycling direct into coaching and then you give away all your energy you you you're equally if not more tired at least mentally but you're just not getting those endorphins you're not riding And then five years ago, when I moved back here, I had a um, couple friends, Christian Vanneveld and George Hincapi, that got me riding again. And now, now I love it. And I, I, it's like oxygen to me. But Jens, it's funny that you were talking about, um, you know, being at the end of your rope. But then, Garrett, like in the weird part of the off season, like December, I'll get this call from Jens saying, Hey, do you know anything about the Everstein challenge? I'm thinking of doing the Everstein challenge. And 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 sure as heck he winds up doing the Everstein challenge on an 80-mile berg in Berlin that took him like what was that 26 hours, Yenzi? Yeah. You know, and what is the record now? It's like, you know, under eight hours for it. And, you know, I kind of helped him and supported him. And I was just like, damn, dude, that's a 
stupid climb to do an Everesting on because you're going to be freezing. It's going to be dangerous on the descent. And then um, all of a sudden, like at the end of the year last year, he's like, you know, I think I'm going to just start running. And like the first thing out the door, he goes and runs 10K and then can't walk for two days and then decides that it's time to do a half marathon. So I like you, you know, so Jens, you're kind of all over the place. I like your plan, Garrett, is to kind of taper down slowly and then kind of figure out, you know, what you want to do. But um, Jens, you and your little urges of challenging yourself, I guess, um, from a coaching perspective, not the healthiest thing to do it. Don't go seeking the pain, don't you? But well, I, I, it does. I, like I guess according did. to my wife, who is an absolute legend, she goes, hey, you were in a midlife crisis since you turned 30. <laughs> so it's 20 years of midlife crisis <laughs> for me now. But back to you, Garrett. Let's talk more about you. <laughs> man, oh, man. Well, it, it it's getting late there in Algarve. And uh, when, when does the race start? Is it? Do you have another day, or tomorrow. is it starting tomorrow? Tomorrow, yeah. So sprint tomorrow. day. Sound looks like it's a tailwind downhill sprint. So it's going to be great fun. <laughs> I might even wait. be the last lead up man as well, which is crazy. Going to have to turn back the clock there. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let you get to bed. I know. Um, uh, one last question, then: Who is your new coach? Because you were so long with with Old Caro. Um, who are you working with there at, at Ineos now? So it's with uh, Connor. Connor Taylor, I think his second name is. I don't even know his second name, but it's Connor. He was working with British Cycling before. Um, and he's been in the team for a couple of years now. Three, four years, I think. Maybe a bit more. Um, it's just weird. It's just so different because Tim had a similar mentality to me, really. He just reinforced my mentality, which was, if you don't get back from training absolutely tight, you know, nailed on your knees and starving hungry, you haven't worked hard. Uh, whereas Connor's a lot more, you know, let's be freshen up for these efforts, the big efforts, you know, let's do a bit less the day, the, the day before, you know, on about being super fresh for races and afterwards, you know, really recovering. And so it's kind of strange. It's a different mentality that I got to sort of get my head around. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely open to, to change. I don't want to sort of, reinvent the wheel and do something completely different because I know what works for me but certainly um, tinkering stuff will yeah will hopefully benefit you really and I think training your body differently as well you can have you'll adapt quicker in, in a different way I guess so that's what I'm hoping anyway so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens keep it fun keep it safe all respect to you and you and Connor your coach will let you go and uh, get a good night's sleep for, for tomorrow's first stage of Tour Algarve. Thanks for coming on, Bobby and Jens. Well, cheers, boys. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Garand for being our guest. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please give us a five-star review and don't forget to share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mosser. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Mm -hmm.